The injury news from spring training sites is starting to pile up, headlined by Mike Clevenger's recent knee surgery. Also, another closer situation is somewhat clarified as well. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had uh, three go-throughs yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, February 17th. Al Melker here with Derek Van Riper, wishing everybody a happy President's Day. But DVR, the, uh, in fact, we were talking about it offline. The uh, Astro scandal continues to dominate the news, but we do have a lot of fantasy news to get to as well. So I suppose we'll table that Astros conversation uh, part, you know, 48 or whatever for another day. But let's start with the news on Mike Clevenger, because this is pretty big. Uh, he sustained a partial meniscus tear in his left knee, underwent surgery on Friday, and is not expected to pitch in a game situation for at least another six weeks. Six to eight weeks is the estimated timetable. So how, if any way at all, are you changing your ranking or your approach to Mike Clevenger? It's a really slight downgrade because if you take the long end of the timetable, we're probably looking at a situation where Clevenger misses about two weeks of regular season games, which is two to three starts, depending on how they line things up. So if you knock a couple of starts off of his projection, for me, it's enough to bring Clevenger down below a few guys who I kind of had clustered near him. His teammate, Shane Bieber, I think is now a little bit higher on my list. Uh, I like Chris Sale more than Clevenger at this point. And then there's Steven Strasburg and Jack Flaherty rounding out my top 10. So I think Clevenger sort of moves to the back of the top 10. It puts him in a group with Chris Paddock and Blake Snell, uh, Charlie Morton, who as an older pitcher has some you know, major injuries in his past. So I, I look at him more like those guys now, mostly because of missed time. Not really worried about long-term implications of this once he's fully recovered. Yeah, well, I had uh, Clevenger seventh right behind Flaherty, who was, or I'm sorry, um, sixth just like uh, his ADP and FBC, but I had him right behind Flaherty as my number five, whereas I had Bueller uh, behind, or I had Bueller behind Clevenger. And that's the thing, because it is so bunched up, and I think we can have disagreements about the exact order and not necessarily have big disagreements about what our projections may be for these pitchers, because it is super bunchy. So something like you said, that is probably, even in the worst case scenario, not that impactful, that can knock him back a few spots and add, or rather, act as something of a uh, of a tiebreaker. So, I'm with you on that. And then, of course, you also do just have to wonder if he's going to come right out of the gate with any sort of problems. So, it certainly doesn't worry me as much as maybe an elbow or a shoulder injury, but obviously something to be worried enough about that there are some adjustments that that are worth making there. There are a bunch of other injury stories that have come up, too, over the last day or two. Uh, Xander Bogarts has a sore ankle, and he's going to sit out for a few days. Miles Michaelis has a sore flexor tendon, and he had an MRI, which turned up no damage. So kind of a good news, bad news scenario there for Miles Michaelis. Alex Verdugo, who we've talked about several times, not just in relation to the trade, but in relation to his back woes, he has now been diagnosed with a stress fracture in his back and is almost certainly going to miss opening day. And Brad Peacock dealing with a recurrence of a nerve issue in his neck. So some of these certainly more serious injuries than others, and some of them more impactful maybe 
on playing time and performance. So out of Bogarts, Michaelis, Verdugo, and Peacock, which one or maybe two really stand out for you as things to pay attention to? You know, for now, I'm just kind of keeping an eye out for Bogarts' ankle being more than a, a few days. If it turns into something that's limiting him a week from now as the Grapefruit League schedule picks up, then maybe it becomes actionable. Uh, the Verdugo situation is pretty bad. We've talked about that, I think, at the end of last week. And think now that we have a diagnosis, he falls even further in my rankings. Uh, I think he's the kind of guy that you can kind of just avoid unless you're getting an extremely steep discount in a very deep league. Uh, it's kind of the recurring theme of this podcast for the first month of its existence is that you don't need to take on significant injury risk because there are other players who are available at a similar price in Verdugo's situation that could match his production anyway. Uh, Miles Michaelis is probably the guy that I'm the most worried about of this entire bunch, though. Flexor tendon issues, even when there's no damage in the MRI, those can lead to bigger elbow problems. You know, you worry that it, be, it could become something structural. It could become uh, a tear. It could become a, a big issue with the elbow at some point. And I think the question you have to have with, with Miles Michaelis is, you know, where do the Cardinals turn? Because they've talked about getting Carlos Martinez back into their rotation. That's the plan for now. If Michaelis were to miss time when the season begins, you know, obviously Flaherty's in the rotation. Martinez, if he's still starting, of course, is part of the starting five. Probably Adam Wainwright and Dakota Hudson initially. But then it's kind of interesting. Do they go to Quang Hyun Kim? Do they go to Daniel Ponce de Leon or Ryan Helsley? Kind of regardless of the direction they go out of that group, I'm not very optimistic about any of those guys from a shallow or mid-sized mixed league perspective. Like This is a Cardinals team that didn't really do much of anything this winter, and I look at them as pretty vulnerable to take a step back in the NL Central this year. Yeah, well, and it's a situation where, you know, sort of like we, we've seen with both the Rays and the Padres trading from, from depth uh, to, to fill needs, and they seem like they have a little bit of a lopsided roster. There's lots of depth in the outfield, even after trading away outfielders. There's, I think, some infield depth as well. So I've not seen any speculation on the Cardinals trading for a starter, but I do have to wonder that if this does not develop in a positive way for Michaelis, and maybe they do try to pull off one of those deals you know, right before opening day that we sometimes see when a, a team is just trying to really desperately fill a hole. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's going to happen, regardless of whether Michaelis misses any time or not, this is a bullpen that is pretty good and, and deep, but I think it's going to get overworked very quickly. So maybe their plan is to make a move midseason to acquire rotation help in July and you know make a push then. But you have to worry that you could burn out your team's relative strength on the pitching staff by using that bullpen too much for the first three or four months of the season before getting those valuable reinforcements. Michaelis is just so important because he looks like an innings eater to me. Uh, he's yeah. the kind of guy, he's not sexy in fantasy leagues because the strikeout rate's generally nothing special, but as a late dart throw, I, I kind of like him as a slight bounce back candidate. I think he can beat last season's 416 ERA. That 122 whip is probably a good indicator of where things are likely to be, but uh, if he beat that ERA from a year ago by a half run, that wouldn't really surprise me all that much. Yeah, well, this weekend in a uh, dynasty league, I had to submit keepers, and I made the decision to uh, keep Michaelis. And then I saw this news and had a little bit of keepers remorse. Uh, I just made that term up, by the way. It's a so real term, I'll, though. Yeah, it is. It is very real. It's going to catch on. Uh, you know, the one that 
I'm very interested in, and I mean, I think it was right for you to zero in on the Michaelis situation because there is a lot of potential collateral impact there given the relative lack of depth that the Cardinals have. But I think the Peacock situation is an interesting one too. And I've seen over the last day or two more discussion online about Josh James being in that that starters mix uh, along with Austin Pruitt and Framber Valdez. So that is intriguing to me uh, on a couple of levels. And first of all, if James does become a starter, then there's some appeal that that he has as a reliever because he probably would be in some high leverage situations. He's not going to close games over Roberto Osuna unless something goes horribly wrong, but in you know different kinds of formats, saves plus holds, and actually my rankings for those formats are now out on the Athletic, uh, so I get to plug that. But you know even things like you know points leagues, out new, you know where non closers have some value. Josh James would lose that sort of appeal, but uh, he could be really you know pretty valuable as a starter. A lot of strikeouts and uh, maybe just generally effective. So I certainly if they if they need to fill a vacancy there because of Peacock, I certainly like his appeal more than Valdez or Pruitt for that matter. Yeah, I mean, I think as a starting point, Josh James could be sort of what Robbie Ray was when Ray first broke in as a starter with the Diamondbacks, a good source of cheap strikeouts. It might come with below average ratios, but he has the potential to do a lot more than that. We've seen it in the upper levels of the minor leagues. We saw it in his debut with the Astros. In 2018, it was six appearances split evenly between the rotation and the bullpen. He had a 29 to 7 strikeout to walk, 235 ERA, a .96 whip. Uh, started the spring last year with an injury. That's what kind of bumped him into that relief role. And because they didn't really have the need in the rotation, he just stayed there all season. I could see James being a 200 strikeout guy with 160 or 165 innings pitch. I don't know if he's going to get much more than that volume wise because. When you go back and look at his heaviest workload as a minor league starter, it was in that 2018 season, you know, split across three levels. He got up into the 135, 136 inning range. Uh, so if you add 35 to 40 innings to that, you know, 170 might be the absolute max. But if the baseline for strikeouts is, you know, 11 or 12 Ks per nine, that's a really exciting pitcher, especially when you factor in price. Uh, I look at that competition in Houston, you know, Verlander, Grinky. McCullers and, and Jose Urquidy are probably locked into those first four spots. Urquidy could probably play his way out of the rotation with a really bad spring or a couple of bad starts to begin the season, but it kind of seems like he's got a leg up. You know, with Peacock maybe falling out of the mix there and heading back into the bullpen, Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Josh James, and then Forrest Whitley are, are the names mm-hmm. that you're looking at real closely. Whitley had just a miserable 2019. I mean, there were injuries. He was really hittable at AAA, which is surprising for a guy whose stuff is as good as Whitley's is. What do you make of him? Like, I threw a lot of darts on him in redrafts last year. Uh, He was kind of like a Kyle Tucker on the pitching side for me where I got stuck burning a roster spot for a really long time and never got that payoff. Do you think 2020 will be kinder to Forrest Whitley? And do you see at least a partial season for him in this Houston rotation? I do expect that there'll be a, a partial season for him. There's certainly the the room for it unless somebody like a Josh James does break out and, and really hold down the role. But I, I just think that with the upside and, and, you know, by the way, you know, same for Tucker too. I mean, I think that these two, regardless of what happens coming out of spring training, that at some point in the season, they're going to nail down regular roles. And I think that the prices come down enough, or I will expect that the prices come down enough on Whitley that... You know, I should be able to to get him in 
even deeper formats as a, a, a late rounder. So certainly he'll be on my list of, of late round flyers. I'm looking at James over Whitley for now just because I think Whitley will spend some time in the minors and, and waiting for a guy like that as I learned firsthand last year can be really frustrating. But I'm definitely interested if we get some positive news on Whitley during spring training, if he does have a chance of changing his fortune before opening day. I think he would be a late round dart for me, but I, I see him as more of like an in-season pickup, a guy that I'll throw a few extra bucks at in fab once that opportunity does present itself to him. Yeah, I, I think so. Again, if I have the opportunity to get him as a late rounder and, and take myself out of the the fab competition, <laughs> I think that's that's a plus. But uh, you know, you could say that about a number of players when you get into the late round, so that's not necessarily a move I'm, I'm going to make in every league. Uh, we got a bit of closer news, news slash non-news. Uh, the Giants situation looked wide open, and the news is that it's, it's going to remain so. Uh, according to Henry Schulman of the San Francisco Chronicle, Giants may not name a closer before opening day. And again, remember, the, the manager there is now Gabe Kapler, and he was always kind of loath to stick with one guy with the Phillies, so not a huge surprise here, but... Uh, we've got Tony Watson, who has a little bit of closer experience, but he's, he's coming off of a very down season. Sean Anderson, who filled in for Will Smith a little bit late in the season, looked much better as a reliever than as a starter. And the piece from Schulman also mentioned towards the end, uh, Trevor Gott and Tyler Rogers holding down high leverage roles. Uh, he wasn't really any more specific than that. But you've got a collection of relievers there that have some promise. Does anybody stand out? Is any is nobody good enough that it, it makes sense to speculate on anybody there? What's the, the right approach with this situation? Yeah, the skills across the board are, are not overwhelming to the point where you, you have to take a shot because if you miss on saves, you're going to have someone who's good, even if they're not getting saves from a fantasy perspective. Uh, if I had to throw a dart right now, it's on Sean Anderson. And even his work as a reliever was okay, not great, once he made that move into the bullpen at the end of last season. You know, Tony Watson having some experience in that role, maybe gets the first crack at it. I could just see this being a revolving door all season. Uh, I just I wish they had a more obvious candidate from a skills perspective who I really liked. But this is on the short list of teams where I simply may avoid the entire group. I mean, is there is there one standing out to you at this point? I think probably Anderson, just because uh, Watson has spent so much time in the the eighth inning role that it's hard to see him taken out of that. And like you said, Anderson, he wasn't great, but he was he was serviceable in that role. And I think that you know Tyler Rogers, we haven't really seen a thick enough of him. Got was pretty good last year, so. It's one that hopefully uh, when your drafts are a little bit later, you'll have some time to see how this develops. But I'd say right now, if I had to uh, pick one of them and, you know, a deeper league where I'm kind of scrapping for saves potential, I would I would choose Anderson. Yeah, for me, so, that's like drafting holds and NL only leagues. Otherwise, I'm probably not messing around with this pen right now. Yeah, uh, if I can help it, I'm with you on that one. Uh, let's get to our featured read of the day. And this one's not directly fantasy relevant, but um, you know, last week we we didn't uh, talk about this at all. And I think it's worth bringing up now. The Pakoda standings projections came out on Baseball Prospectus. So there's a piece to go with it, Cracking Crystal. The 2020 Pakoda standings projections by Harry, pa- Harry Pavlidis on baseball prospectus and some of them, some of the team projections really surprised me. The Phillies Cardinals, your Brewers DVR and the Diamondbacks all projected to be under 500, you know, with the understanding that these are, there's projected ranges, but 
surprised me a little bit. So, well, b- before we uh, wrap this up, does this matter to you at all, the team context? Uh, you know, so if you see the Phillies are projected to be under 500, does that make you more lukewarm on, you know, like Aaron Nola for wins? Yeah, I, th- I think a little bit. I mean, I, I, it's more of a case-by-case sort of thing. It, it's sort of like, oh, wow, that's a low wins projection for the Phillies. Why is it low? Drilling into the why it's low and then deciding if it's a downgrade for starters because of the lack of run support or if it's a downgrade for the offense because there are some flawed players you know, projected to regress. Like I think it is really going to vary from team to team, but definitely a surprising group. I, I kind of like the Diamondbacks probably more than that projection. Um, I think with the Brewers, I understand where that number comes from. I, I think they probably are not a playoff team as currently constructed because they're relying on a lot of young players who would have to exceed expectations. And I think naturally those players are going to have pretty mediocre projections. Uh, Luis Urias, kind of the the poster boy for that right now. And in the third base situation there is a bit of a mess as well. So I, I totally understand where these numbers are coming from. And uh, I think there is something there from a fantasy perspective, but it will vary from team to team. Yep. I can't uh, disagree with that at all. And then on that note, we're going to wind this up here for this uh, episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you are not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. And everything that we do is included with the subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you did take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we will both be back with you on Tuesday. Tuesday.